0: Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Ephesians, where we're going to be today. Find it in Ephesians 4. I thought about making you stand up and read the entire passage, but uh, I chose otherwise. So we will read together through the text this morning. So um, if you are joining with us, obviously we're we're working through a sermon series. We're in week two of uh, Ecclesia. Um, and in the context this morning, uh, when we're dealing with teaching, uh, what we'll see in the context of our passage this morning, that this is centered around uh, the idea of unity. And much can be said uh, in the idea of unity within our church today and what we see in, around the culture. Uh, and to be fair, unity is an important topic. It's one that we should dive into as believers. However, unlike the world uh, and, the, and our surrounding culture, our perspective on unity, right, uh, has different standards and different commitments. Uh, it's not only unity for unity's sake, untethered by any standards outside of our own ways and uh, our own hearts. Um, instead, of the context of Christian walk, unity will be found only as we center ourselves around Christ and seek to grow in him together. This is important when dealing with the health of a local church. If you're joining with us today, this is, this is when we're trying to, to work through the second part uh, of our series. Last week we dealt with prayer, which is so preem- preeminent in the church because it's through prayer and the power of prayer that uh, the Lord continues to move, but how does he continue to build his congregation? So today we're going to look at the teaching ministry of the church, and we have a running definition that we're going to go to week in and week out uh, as a reference point for us to kind have of our, our, have our bearings. So, Uh, Look with me here at the definition given last week of what a local church is. This is an assembly of believers in Jesus Christ who professed him as Lord and are submitted to the authority of his word. They regularly gather under the leadership of qualified pastors and elders to receive the whole counsel of God's word and to observe the ordinances of baptism and communion. They stir one another up to love and good works, hold each other accountable to walk in holiness, and work together to advance the gospel to the ends of the earth. So within this definition, we're going to be drilling down in, on the preaching and teaching ministry of the church. Uh, today, I'll work through the teaching elements, and Pastor Taylor will bring next week the, uh, the preaching elements as we deal with this, uh, this ministry uh, within local congregation. And these, I, these elements are vital, right? Vital to the establishment of a healthy and vibrant community of believers. This emphasis on teaching is seen as early as the Great Commission before Christ ascended to the Father. We see it right there in Matthew 28. And Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and and make disciples of of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Doing what? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So embedded in the command to go proclaim the good news of the gospel is quickly followed up with the training up of new believers in the nuances of their faith. God, through the power of his word, desires for his children to mature in their faith and knowledge of him. He knew that his children would need to grow in their knowledge of him because early in the history of the church and on up into today, there would be forces always seeking to undermine the mission of the church. So we, the children of God, must be equipped to carry on the message of the gospel to the next generation and not be deterred by the false gospels in our world today. So the main idea this morning, and this is not in your notes, and I apologize for that, but the main idea for you to write down is the body of Christ Grows in love and unity as she matures through the faithful preaching and teaching of godly leaders. Let me read it again. The body of Christ grows in love and unity as she matures through the faithful preaching and teaching of godly leaders. So, before we dive into our text this morning, uh, we're going to use a tool of uh, of teaching and study. Uh, that is known as cross-referencing, which is to look at the surrounding text and similar passages to inform how we read and apply uh, the text this morning. Because we're jumping right in the middle of a book, uh, so it's a little hard for us to always comprehend the context by which we're te- by which we're speaking about. And Paul, in this section, literally starts the the passage with "therefore," and, and this uh, this connects the reader to the previous thoughts. And uh, in, in this case, the first three chapters of Ephesians, which deals with the beautiful manifestation of the gospel for the Gentiles, bringing in this new reality for us today. Uh, And what we see right at the tail end of chapter 3 leading into our passage this morning, we see a prayer, and and I want to read this to you because it sets the context for us this morning. It says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, That you, being rooted, grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the Church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So, this passage that we're studying right, this morning, is built off a beautiful prayer that exhorted the Ephesians to do what? To grow. What are they growing in? He was praying for the Ephesians to grow in their understanding of Christ's love for them. Paul wants them to be built on the relationship to Christ, to not be satisfied with their salvation, but to fully move into this this process of sanctification, which is Christian maturity, to move fully into this Christ. This may seem like a simple instruction to mature in Christ, but I'm sure if we're honest that I can think of areas that we need to grow in. We need to, we need to, know, we need to know and grow in our understanding of prayer. When we should study the, the Word of God more, right? We're not as faithful as we would like to be in our evangelism, right? We fail in loving our families. Well. We're not watching our own life. We're not being circumspect with the sins that are encroaching in on us. Perhaps we've never fasted before in our life. Yet these are all instructions of the Lord that help us to grow into Christian maturity. And we can go on and on and on with these. So how does Paul exhort the Ephesians to grow? It's the first part uh, of our section this morning, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. Gospel communities are exhorted to walk in unity. And it sets the backbone for everything that we're going to go from here. It says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. How are we united? What What are some of the foundational reasons to unite around? Well, I hope you see right there at the beginning that first and foremost, we are united in Christ, in our relationship to him. Paul looks to his relationship, get this in the context, from with the Lord, uh, and this is how he motivates the Ephesians, and how is he setting his relationship? That of a prisoner, right? For Paul, his literal chains are for him nothing but a symbol to the greater connection that he has to the Lord. So in other words, Paul relinquished all of his freedom to follow Christ, and so should we. That's our very nature and foundation of our relationship to him. We are no longer bound in slavery to our sin, but to be righteous, uh, to be the righteousness that's found only in Christ. This is what Jesus would tell his followers in the Gospel of Luke, right? He said to all of them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow after me. So now, considering this relationship, we are to walk like it. We cannot just continue living the way we feel, but we must evaluate how we conduct our lives before the watching world. And how do we do this? Follow own. on by developing our Christ-like conduct and character. We see this in verses 2 and 3. Paul directs the Ephesians to see their life in Christ by exhibiting certain character traits. See, the world, you know, it demands a certain set of character traits too. The world likes to promote confidence, self-reliance, independence. Uh, but notice the caveat, not without conformity. The calling of a Christ follower is to exhibit strength through different traits. Humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, love. The traits the world values seek to gratify self, whereas the way the Christian looks uh, outward to others, right, to the well-being of those that are around us. All the traits we are to exhibit are placed in relationship to others. They're not meant to be self-gratifying. So we see that also then by our gospel confession. These are the things that we are united around. We see that right there at the end of 4 through 6. The message of the gospel has its foundation secured by the very nature of God, right? He is one. We are one. You are to be unified because our heavenly Father is fully unified with himself as he exists in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are saved to be united with him as he as he is united to the Father and to the Holy Spirit. The message of the gospel draws us up into this relationship perfectly. For Christ dies in order that we might be saved, not to go on living for our own way, but so that we can be united to him and to one another. So we see this clearly. This is, these are the things that we are united around, and that's the motivation uh, to draw us into this connection for, for uh, growing in Christ. And number two, I want you to see that gospel communities must be led by faithful leaders who equip the saints for ministry. That's in Ephesians 7 through 12, part of what Josiah read this morning. said, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ. So what do we see here? Uh, These faithful leaders. uh, One, we can't sidestep the fact that here Paul is declaring that, guess what? All believers receive gifts, right? We're all receiving uh, special blessings from the Lord. Paul states in general that all believers have have gifts by the spirits, and these diverse gifts are clarified more in other passages than than this one particular. We see it in Romans 12. We see it in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. So how does Christ secure these gifts for us? I love this. Paul is quoting from Psalm uh, 68, 18, and what do we see? When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Get this picture. This is beautiful. He is envisioning Christ as a conqueror that then spreads out gifts to his people. However, if you and I were to take a moment and we were to flip back to uh, Psalm 68, uh, we would see that this reference actually says that uh, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he received gifts from the people, from men. So what is is going on with Paul? Did he misquote the Psalms in this section, or is something greater happening? Uh, As some commentators have noted, a possible translation that would be better fitted for our time would be that he... Uh, be brought rather than to receive. And in this sense, the words uh, can be seen as both a giving and a receiving. Uh, John Stott puts it this way, words cannot be interpreted by themselves, but only in context, in context also when they're written. So we need to remember that after every conquest in the ancient world, there was invariably both a receiving of tribute and a distributing of bounty. What conquerors took from their captives, they gave away to their people. The spoils were divided and the booty was shared. So the picture is rich. Our Lord rides into heaven with the spoils of his conquest. Get that. When he ascended on high at that mount, when he leaves, when he leaves the apostles behind and all the disciples that follow him, he, he ushers in a new age, right? And as he steps forth into glory, into heaven, he then pours out a wealth of gift on, gifts on his people. So Paul's usage here in this section is not to deal with the gifts in detail, but clearly to point out what they are intended for. And as we'll see in the moment, these gifts are for the building up of the body. And that happens through every believer exercising his or her gifts to the glory of God. This draws out another beautiful reality that the unity set forth earlier by Paul is what Christ uses to explode into a beautiful array of gifts that brings diversity among the people of God. We all bring unique gifts into the body of Christ, but within that beautiful unity is diversity. I love that. Christ is not taking these things away from us but actually making it manifold and more beautiful. Yet, some of these gifts are given specifically for the equipping of the church, for the task of growth. This is how the Lord is moving his mission forward. Christ is given the spiritual gifts for the building up of his church. And particularly in this section, we see that the, the, the structure of the church is what is actually being formed here. And let me take a second just really kind of explain the, the nuances of the gifts a little bit more to us this morning. Um, what we need to see is that at the presentations of the gift, Paul uses here this morning, uh, the gift of teaching, right, we can see this in multiple places. And we recognize that the gift of teaching in in the different accounts is both given to men and women. So what are we talking about here? This is where we're talking specifically about the preaching and teaching ministry that are kind of wedded together uh, with regard to the gifts. So it follows in how he instructed Titus, think about this, uh, later on in the ministry when he's encouraging another brother, this is the idea of what we're trying to get at. This is why I left you in Crete, Titus 1.5, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Right? So this is the preaching and teaching of the ministry coming together here. So for the church to grow in health, godly leaders must first be raised up. And, and I put it in the context of this way. If you've ever been in a foreign context uh, and have been able to go uh, on a mission trip, uh, you can see some rapid growth in the church. Um, when I went over to Maasai territory in Kenya uh, a number of years ago, uh, it is amazing to go out into the bush to, to meet uh, the Maasai people, and we would go around to different bomas, which are just different communities uh, within them. They could be 40, 50, 100 large, and share the gospel with them and add a presentation of the gospel and, 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 and asking them to repent. You would get a, an entire boma coming to Christ in one instant. And this happened over and over and over again daily. We went down to the marketplace one time and did open-air evangelism, and countless numbers of people would come to know Christ, would profess faith in Christ. So what happens at these rapid explosions of gospel movements? Think in the context of Asia, where you have the house church movement that's continuing to grow over and over and over again. It's exploding. People are coming to Christ. But the paramount picture here that Paul is getting at is that Elders must be raised up within these congregations so that they can stay secure, so they don't bridge into heresy or fall into sin continually. This is, the, this is how we keep ourselves pure. So again, this is not discounting others that have the gift of teaching, but it shows how Paul, Paul's reasoning for how the church will continue to be built foundationally. That foundation was first laid by the apostles and the prophets. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets christ jesus himself being the cornerstone now the evangelists and pastor teachers are being used to build the structure on top of the foundation that has already been laid this is a living structure which is why paul uses multiple analogies to get across his message the church is a body it's living and it's active it grows together in unity with one another as all the parts function properly the church is also a structure it has a foundation a place of firm footing and grounding We represent each stone put into place to build a grand building that brings glory and honor to our Lord. As Peter would describe it, you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen, precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So this section draws out how the Lord intends to build his church, which speaks directly to the teaching ministry of any local body. And I know that we often speak of the church as a hospital, and that is entirely true, right? We're all broken sinners. But the church is also a training ground, a boot camp, so to speak, that is training and equipping followers of Christ to take action. And foundationally, that begins through the preaching and teaching ministry of the elders. See, these men of God are called out not to lead every ministry, but to equip all the saints of the local body they serve to fan out into their spheres of influence, their ministry, to reach everyone from their home to their job, to their neighbors, to their schools, to their hobbies with the grand news of the gospel. And it's, in this, and it's this daunting task, uh, right, which we have to accomplish because I can tell you, um, there's not one of the men, one of these men called to, to be an elder at cross that doesn't know his own limitations. We humbly wear this mantle. We understand that we are not without sin and struggles and need continual outpouring from the Lord to grow in Christ as well. We know that we do not perfectly fulfill the calling at all the time, and we also know that at times we're going to let you down. Nonetheless, God has established this order that through the preaching and teaching ministries of the church, he would build up his children. So if the first part this morning dealt with what we are to envision as a unified body of believers, and the second part is how the Lord is going to build that unity within the church, the third part deals with the outcomes. What are we seeking to accomplish? What's the bullseye of the target? That we're seeking to accomplish. Number three, gospel communities require that we grow in faithful knowledge and obedience to the Lord. Right there in verses 13 through 16, listen, listen to me. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children For each one of us this morning is to grow into full maturity and although that has an individual application right you and I are to do this Paul has in mind that this growth happens corporately as we actually grow together it's not just you and me it's us together so what does this full maturity look like well for one thing it involves Christ likeness verses 13 right right into the fullness of Christ, into the full stature of who he is. The full stature of Christ means that we resemble our Savior. His characteristics become our characteristics. His affections become our affections. His heart becomes our heart. This is an incredibly high calling for all of us, and it is a lifelong, beautiful process. It involves doctrinal stability, right? And I believe this inability to know and own our faith is one of the single greatest threats to the church in America, so hear me. Through our complacency, we have allowed the Word of God to be relegated to the sidelines and not preeminent as it should be in our lives. Because the answer to the question, how can we not be carried away and tossed about by every wind of new doctrine, the answer is simple. We seek to be students of the Word. So in truth, the study of the Scriptures is the one class that, we never, that we're never going to be graduating from. We must develop a hunger for the Lord that looks like the psalmist. Listen to Psalm 119. He says, oh, how I love your law. When's the last time you thought of the Ten Commandments in that way? It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than the honey to my mouth. Through through your precepts, I I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. How does that sound to you? Is this convicting? Or is it exciting to know that as a follower of Christ, our hearts can become like the psalmist in this picture? Perhaps this is the encouragement that you need this morning, right? Maybe it's time for you to go ahead and sign up for the Bible reading plan and get on board with the rest of us. Stop stop sitting on the sidelines, okay? Take that worship guide home with you. In it, you find scripture that we're all memorizing together. There is a reason why we have started to do all of this in unison together, right? As we grow together. It's not just you and me. It's we doing this together. Or perhaps this is the stirring you need uh, right to de- that you desire now to really go and grab another Christ follower, maybe one that's a little further along with you, and you're like, hey, can I just walk with you for a season? Teach me the ways of the Lord, right? Growing together in the Word. Or maybe this is your incentive to join a community group so that you can continue to apply God's Word to your life every week. At our core, church, we must have a hunger for God that drives us to His Word daily. Daily. And this, interestingly, this also involves truth joined by love, verses 15 through 16. When we continue to devote ourselves to the scriptures, we find that the Lord begins to change our hearts to help us walk faithfully before him. But this is not an exercise for knowledge's sake, right? Because we can easily become conceited and puffed up uh, by the knowledge that we gain. This is not what we're talking about. No, this is a deep understanding of God through his word, and it builds in us the ability to grow closer to one another in love. And finally, this involves contribution. This is where our action takes place. Verse 16, Paul moves back into the analogy of the body to complete this section, right? With Christ as our head and each one of us functioning as a part of the body, we grow in Christ together. The perfect outcome for a believer is when they understand their gifting and are utilizing it alongside the rest of the body. So how can we apply this text this morning to us? What can we do? What are are some takeaways? Number one, from the first section, I want you to see that You need to seek to be a peacemaker within the church. So as we've already discussed, unity is centered on Christ. Therefore, there is a great precedent to be at peace with our fellow brothers and sisters as we grow in him. We may all be growing, but that does not mean that we're all in the same place. So guess what? You walk in Christian charity to one another. Love and understand where a person is and at. Love them enough to tell them when they're falling into sin. Love them enough to encourage them when they're broken and downhearted. Love them enough to walk into their life and gain an understanding of where they are. Instead of just sitting here this morning and not shaking hands with one another, not, not embracing one another, walking out here and having no conversation with your brother or sister in Christ, move into one another's life to encourage one another. This flies in the face of our culture. And I stand to say many within the church. And it's through that disunity that the cause of Christ is stifled, right? This is what we see when we see churches embattled against one another. And I pray that that would not be the case among us. Number two, honor your leaders and submit to the process of growth given by the Lord, right? This is not me speaking. This is the Lord and how he wants to grow his ministry. It's very humbling, I promise you, to lead the body of cross. Your elders know their weaknesses and their need for Christ. We know that we are called as under shepherds to serve the great shepherd. Therefore, we are on our knees for you and ask that you would show us love by continually praying for us. That's what I mean by showing honor. Love us enough to pray for us so that the Lord would continue to lead our own hearts as we seek to lead you and guide you in the ways of the Lord. Trust the Lord in his leading of the elders, the staff, the lay leaders, week in and week out. Be willing to step into areas that stretch you and sometimes make you feel uncomfortable. We are going to, if we're going to grow in Christ, we're going to be stretched. And finally, diligently grow in your faith so that the Word is your source of truth and not the world. As I encouraged earlier, this is the year for Cross to be a people of the Word. And that is the same this year and the year after that and the year after that and on and on and on until Christ comes home, Right? Until he returns. Within the 24-hour news cycle, the invention of social media and virtual reality growing more prevalent, there are many sources of information that is masquerading as truth and demanding your attention. Do you have the ability to recognize when something is false? When your time is being consumed with some false narrative or ideology that will not serve the kingdom of God, but only divide it. So let's seek to gain insight. Let us heed the encouragement from the Apostle Paul who says it like this. For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war against the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but of divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Let me pray for us. Father God, as we seek you in your word and as we talk about this beautiful thing called the bride of Christ the local church Father God she is she's a beautiful mess she's composed of sinners like me and in this beautiful mess Lord God you are calling us to yourself you're calling us to be satisfied in you you're calling us to be mesmerized by your beauty you're calling us to look more like you. Father God, you've instructed us. You've taught us. Lord God, your word is clear. Lord God, uh, invigorate our hearts. Convict us of our sin, Lord God, where we would rebel against this idea. Where we would rebel against the very thing that you put in place. Let us be people of the word, Lord God, and from our word, gain our source of knowledge and our understanding so that we can more fully follow you. So that we can more, be, so we can more fully uh, display the gospel. So we can see numerous people, Lord God, and we can see more baptisms week in and week out, Lord God, that bring us to tears because every single one of those lives represent newness in you. Every single one of those lives represents someone moving from darkness, from dead, from death to life. And that is beautiful. Father God, so you're moving in your church. We know this, Lord God, and we just want to, we just want to be obedient to you. Father God, subdue do in our hearts, Lord God, what you will right now. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. I pray that you just keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed. As we move into a time of worship and preparing our hearts for the Lord's Supper, and we do this week out, week in and week out. But the Apostle Paul declares specifically that uh, we're not to take this time lightly. as we have worshiped together and as, as you have sat under the word, surely there is something in your heart that is clogging you up, causing you to not be able to hear and listen to respond. Pray to the Lord that, that he would free you from whatever besetting sin or thought, that he would declare his righteousness in your heart. Move in freedom. As you confess your sin in repentance, true repentance moves to action. And in this action, glorify your Lord and Savior who has already nailed your sin to the cross. Did you get that, child? That you are declared righteous because of the work of Christ. That all your sins are past, present, future, in this very moment. All of it taken on. That when Jesus upon the cross said, it is finished, he had you in mind. That he had taken it all. Now you are made beautiful because of Christ's beautiful sacrifice. So walking for you this morning. Jesus, do a great work in us. We love you.